1: My interview today is with, with Sean Campbell. He is the director of the senior director of strategic initiatives at Samaritan's Purse in Calgary. He is the chair of the board for the Stevens Children Foundation, an organization that's doing some great work. Uh, in the slums of Cairo uh, with a woman by the name of Mama Maggie, who's often called the Mother Teresa of Cairo. We talk a little bit about her. We talk about love and compassion. We talk about something that Sean refers to as a God stamp in our hearts, which I find really interesting and something that he unpacks uh, for us. We talk about this whole idea of of why it's important to serve others and why it was important for Sean. Uh, as a kid and how he grew up with this idea and how it was very much a part of his history and uh, uh, of who he is and why he's still in, still doing the humanitarian work that he's we, that that he's doing. We also talk a lot about uh, or a little bit about uh, Cambodia. He spent in 1985 some time on the Thai Cambodia border. So the real interest level there for me personally, uh, you're going to love the interview. Sean's a great guy, a lot of passion, a lot of energy, a lot of intention. Uh, listen in and uh, also uh, davidpecklive.com for more interviews and please um, you know they're still flying off the shelves Uh, real change is incremental it's my my book that uh, if you haven't got a copy i'd love for you to get one stay tuned for sean campbell well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another very special guest today on this beautiful sunny day here in Toronto. I don't know what it's like out in Calgary, but uh, Sean Campbell, he's the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives, and we're going to find out what the heck that means uh, from Samaritan's Purse. Sean, thanks for joining us today.
3: My pleasure, David, and rest assured we've got better weather than you do.
1: Oh, do you Really?
3: You know, Was that a
1: little... T- was there a tone there? Was there a sarcastic tone there, Sean? Or?
3: Yeah, you know, I lived <laughs> in Toronto for a few years. Okay. And uh, winters like this, I'm glad to be in the West. Right. Yes, well, we've, you know, the last couple of days have been
1: awesome. I mean, really, absolutely gorgeous. You know, that blue sky that you just that that painting oh, of a yes. sky, and the, the the weather's been just beautiful. I just hope we don't get some sort of weird backdoor surprise with another <laughs> snowfall in the next week. But hey, let's. You
3: know, I, I always tell people there's two two places to be when it's sunny: Vancouver and Toronto. They're great cities when it's sunny and warm. So
1: so we got lo- we got lots to talk about today, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. So, so, so what, tell me a little bit about your role with SP and and so senior director of strategic initiative sounds very CIA like.
3: <laughs> well, you know, uh, when my my wife and I worked in Thailand for four years. I worked under the UN for a couple years on mm. the Thai Cambodian border, and that's mm. where I met Franklin Graham and uh, who is the president of Samaritans Purse internationally. And the Billy Graham Association and Franklin invited me to, to to consider the opportunity of coming on in Canada and starting up a very fledgling work out in the Toronto area uh, with Samaritan's Purse.
1: Now how long how long ago the Thai Cambodia border? You got my interest yeah. right out of the gate. How long ago was that?
3: That was I, I I went out there in 1985. Oh wow, okay. So spent four years there. Oh, you
1: were right in the middle of it then.
3: Yeah, we worked on the uh, in a Khmer Rouge refugee camp. Um, you know, we had had all the medical services for the largest Khmer Rouge camp on the Thai-Cambodian border during those years. And, uh, you know, again, it was a unique opportunity to work Mm -hmm. with the Khmer Rouge, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of groups refused to work with. Yeah, of course. uh, We were under an NGO, under contract to the UN, who said, hey, hey, look, this is a a great opportunity. These people need help. So I I cut my teeth in a camp of about 40,000 Khmer Rouge refugees, during those days, and that's where I came across Samaritan's Purse.
1: Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that that's five years, essentially, after the North Vietnamese ousted the Khmer Rouge, basically took back Cambodia. So, I mean, you were in the middle of a civil war. Paris Peace Accords hadn't even happened then. Uh,
3: in well, if you remember during that time, David, like, the, 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 the you know, the, uh, after the Khmer Rouge took power in Cambodia... Then they got this crazy idea of defeating the Vietnamese, who were an ally. Mm. So the Vietnamese and the Khmer Rouge went to war. And the Vietnamese are very experienced at war at that time. Yeah, sure. So the Khmer Rouge, quite quickly. So these are where all the camps along the Thai-Cambodian border, probably a million people at that time, came to be. And uh, in our camp, we had relatives of Pol Pot. Yen well, Greek, you some pan, you know, the, well, the leadership of the Khmer Rouge were in our refugee camp.
1: Names that are relevant today, with the trials that are going on in Cambodia as we speak. I just interviewed Alexander Hinton, who's written Great. the book "Why Did They Kill," and he's got a book uh, all and it's all about the Cambodian genocide. He's a genocide scholar and anthropologist out of Rutgers, and he's got a book about Doik coming out, the guy who ran S twenty one. Exactly, it's yep. just it's unbelievable the layers as you start to peel them back. I uh, I had I knew that Cambodia and Thailand were in your past. I didn't know that you were basically in the middle of it. That's uh, yeah. and very much a humanitarian yeah. uh, exercise versus what you're doing I guess today to some degree is that right back to my question about, you know, your C A C I A like title. <laughs> Director yeah, you know I, and, and I
3: I hate to make those things complicated cuz yeah. as a as a as a Christian, I believe it's very important that we demonstrate the love of God. If we don't do that, we don't have any basis for a platform to talk about that love. And uh, it really, I see, I, I see my role today as that, and I saw my role in the past as that, as someone who, who says that there's a God in heaven that loves people. So first and foremost, I need to love them as he loved them. Mm. And then by doing that, hopefully that presents an opportunity for me to say what I believe. And I, I don't believe that we can say what we believe until we demonstrate what we believe.
1: Do you um do you think, Sean, that you would not be doing this work if you didn't believe in that God? Do you think you would be I don't know climbing the corporate ladder, um, traveling the world? I mean, I, no, I'm you
3: know what? No, I don't, cause, cause I, cause I uh, even as a even as a twelve year old, I remember uh, you know when I was in grade six or seven, you know somebody coming and saying, "Hey, we want to give poor children." Uh, something. And I, I grew up in a single family dwelling with four older brothers and mm. a, a mom who barely made it through the month trying to support us. And I, I, I remember my, my favorite thing I had was an etch sketch mm. And I brought that and gave it. So, I, you know, I, I think even back in those days, I realized that helping others that were, even though we were an unfortunate family, there were less fortunate families than ours. Right. And, and, and I... You know, I actually think that God actually blessed that. You know, like, uh, you know, a 12-year-old kid giving up his etch sketch which was his favorite thing. You know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. So so would I do it if I didn't have faith? Yeah, I think I would. Mm-hmm. I'd still do it, because I believe in serving other people. I think, you know, people are always looking to find themselves. Yeah, The way you find yourself is in serving others. <laughs> then you find mm. yourself.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a unifying principle to some degree, isn't it? This idea of reaching out to others, and yet it seems to me, you know, you can sort of look. It's very interfaith as well. Like most faiths, it seem it seems have this idea of at least, you know, uh, a version of the golden rule, or yeah. or or loving your neighbor in some way, uh, to, you know, to see beyond yourself. And yet, Sean, it seems to me there's a lot of there's not a fall, awful lot of us who, who, who aren't in that place. Yeah. Do you know do you know what I'm saying? Like it just
3: Well I do I yeah. I, I look I, you know, I've I've been to hundred and fifty six countries and you know, it's amazing to me, like you know, in places like in in Angor Wat in San Maripa, mm. Cambodia that you know well, and places in India, like I, I watch all these foreigners coming trying to find themselves. <laughs> it's that, this journey, right? Yes. People yes. are trying to what, what's my life mean? What's my purpose? Yes. Where am I going? What am I doing? And and I admire that journey. And I think people find that the answer in various things. For me, the answer has been in Christ, because I find that Christianity is a religion that, that talks about, you know, uh, what, what, what someone else has done for us, what mm. the Son of God did for us. And, you know, that very model is the model that i think that we ought to embrace as people that, that, that we live our lives for a purpose and it's a purpose to serve others it's mm-hmm. a purpose to mm-hmm. to demonstrate the love of god to them and uh, you know so I, I i watch people trying to find this and i find it interesting the ways that they find it right i'm glad i found it in right god, right christ
1: what so what is a strategic initiative for samaritan's purse
3: well, right now we, we've got a lot of projects going on. I bet you do, yep. You know, you and I were talking just earlier, you know, we just uh, flew our DCA to Ecuador. So within 24 hours we'll have up and running a 60-bed hospital.
1: Wow, okay. Uh,
3: you, you know, these kinds of things, that, that's a strategic initiative for us. We've got a lot of work going on in the country of Myanmar, which is formerly known as Burma, with Aung San Suu Kyi's government coming into power a year ago. It's a new day in Burma, but uh, myanmar, but with with a lot of difficulties and challenges because you know the the northern tribal states are being abused and their lands being taken away from them because of the economic value, the mining rights, those kinds of things. so that area in Iraq is a big area for us. you know we've been working in Iraq for eight years now, northern Iraq, we're right on the Syrian border, right there, we're ten kilometers away from ISIS. And those are mm. kind of the initiatives that i'm I'm looking at and overseeing
1: do you do you I mean wow you've been involved in this kind of work for a long time Sean what what are what are some of the observations that you've you know hundred and fifty six countries uh, Thai Cambodia border in the middle I mean in the middle of it like you know uh, I mean, how do how do you how do you account for some of the things that occurred, you know, in in Cambodia and so on? But I guess my question is, what do you what do you learn about those people on that journey? What do you learn about human nature? What do you learn about helping others? Uh, and I guess maybe the question really is about about affecting change. I suppose is
3: where I'm really trying yeah. to get to. Yeah, David, I, you know, I, I what I've observed in all these places, whether it's a war zone, Chechnya, or Bosnia during the war. <coughs> Sudan, Somalia, any one of these places, you know, I I realize how cr- Rwanda, like mm. Rwanda, mm. really when the when the Hutus and the Tutsis went after each other and were slaughtering, it just re- made me realize. I remember a Time magazine article I saw, uh, that the, the, the front cover of Time magazine said, "There are no demons left in hell; they're all in Rwanda." Wow. said the missionary. And wow. That that was the front of Time magazine. Yep. I just thought... You know, I was there. I was in Rotari while, hmm. uh, you know, uh, Kigali was was burning. You could see it in the distance, and listening to the radio station saying, "Hey, there, there's there, there's Tutsis and they're at this location. Go kill them." That, right. that was the radio station. Yeah, yeah. So I realized at that point in time, and and other times, I guess that, you know, man's in, man is capable of some horrendous things, like they they you know like. Uh, they're overtaken by a passion to kill, to murder, to do these things. At the same time, I realize that there is a, a, there is within each of us created a God image. Mm. And that God image means that we can love and care and show compassion. So I, I've seen the horrors of man, but I've seen the beauty of mankind. And i, I got to say, that's not just expressed in my Christian faith. I've watched Muslims and Buddhists are as concerned as i am about caring for people and about you know administering to them and helping them and uh, some of my closest friends are muslims in the middle east and i I mean that sincerely and i watch their care for their people and and i think you know as wicked as man's heart can be it can also be redeeming Mm. powerful in the sense that they're called to help people
1: well, and at some point, you do have to ask the question, where does something like that come for? Where does, and it's a, it's a question I continue to ask myself uh, with respect to the work that I do, why does somebody care about other people and somebody else doesn't? You know? Yeah. How, how do you step outside of your own frame of reference? How do you take off the pair of glasses that you're wearing, get out of that, wretched framework, whatever that is, whether it's philosophical or theological or religious, and and actually stand outside and say, hey, I can actually see life in a different way. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Well, I I guess I answer it this way. I say, you know, like, and again, from my Christian perspective, everybody's created in the image of God. Hmm. And so that means there's some kind of God stamp in our hearts. And I think is, you know, as as we recognize that, I, I think that, you know generally, there's a goodness within people, mm. and I think they desire to help. Sometimes they don't know how to help, right. They don't know where right. to help. Right. But if they're shown the way, I find the majority of people wanting to go that way. and it doesn't, it's not a matter of finances, you know it's not a matter right. of having lots of resources so I can do this. I found some of the most generous people to be some of the poorest people
2: mm. mm-hmm.
1: who
3: recognize where they've come from and who desire to reach out and help somebody else. So without
1: without a doubt, that is yeah. a common thread um, when I interview people who do, you know, do development or humanitarian work in the majority world. That is definitely a common thread, this idea of generosity and how it, it, it it's a, uh, hmm. It's an inclusive kind of approach yeah. to, for for some, not for everybody, obviously, but how yeah. some of the supposedly, you know, if we look at things strictly in a financial sense, some of the poorest people in the world are some of the most generous, and I think it's a pretty pretty remarkable uh, observation.
3: Yes, it's, it's remarkable to us, and it's very humbling, mm. because when I see these people who have next to nothing saying... You know, I, I can think of this in Sudan and places I've been where, you know, you have one village that has almost nothing. Right. Uh, Cambodia, even even places that you and I have been, you know, you look at them and one village has nothing. But with what they've been given, they want to share with others. And it, it, and it's actually at that level that I find most, uh, most appealing and most compelling in my life. When I watch these people who have next to nothing saying, you know, we want to help this village up the street because they have nothing. I'm blown away, and yeah. I'm very humbled by it.
1: So, so you do. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other work that you do. You're, uh, you're. I'm, I'm sure you sit on a variety of boards. There's an event that we're involved in coming up in Toronto uh, called "The Least of These," with a woman by the name of mm-hmm. Mama Maggie uh, coming out of uh, Egypt, coming out of Cairo, working in the slums. Sounds like you've stood on the edge of, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure many, many slums around the world, um, mm. but just even metaphorically. You, you, were the board chair of this organization. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do with them, and 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 sure. and, and why you would, you know, sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Why, why are you volunteering yeah. for Stevens?
3: Well, you know, you know what I've met two, <laughs> two. I've met so many amazing women. Yeah, and and I just I'm humbled by that because I think, gosh, we are the guys who get out there and do this? Stuff? <laughs> but right. I, Years ago, I met Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and it uh, was blown away by her, the simplicity of her lifestyle and the incredible uh, service that she is providing. She has a home for the home, destitute and dying, which is right beside Kali's Temple mm. in Calcutta. And the, the juxtaposition of those things is amazing to me. But, you know, I, I met her, and she's, she's lovingly caring, not just her staff, but her herself caring for people. And when I met Mama Maggie from Stevens Children years ago, uh, you know, I, I, I was blown away. Here's a university professor who would drive by the dumps every day and see the, the poor going through the dump, trying to mm-hmm. find whatever they could to sell. And, and she became so moved by that, she quit her job and started to serve these people. And every day, Stevens Children cares for over 20,000 children you know, uh, throughout Egypt, and, uh, you know, it's the largest, and I've been through many, many Middle Eastern countries, it's the largest, uh, I guess, compassionate, certainly Christian ministry in all the Middle East. And when I see people like that, who, here's a university professor who gave that up for the sake of the least of these, which Jesus calls us to serve. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was very humbled by that, very humbled by her story, and uh, I'm so glad to be a little, small little part of that overall work that she's doing in Egypt, caring for children and uh, and loving them as Christ would love them.
1: Do you, Sean, do you think that there's, I mean, when people think of the Middle East, typically, what do you think of? You think of, you know, uh, violence, you think of uh, division, inability, you know, just inability to get along and so on. Is there something kind of metaphorical about this work for, for well, I don't know for you, for me, for all of us. Frankly, working with kids in 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 slums—I mean, you don't get much more grassroots than that. It seems to me that that's sort of connected to yeah. the, to the solution. Does that make a sense? I mean, uh, we yeah. we we both probably believe extreme poverty will never be solved in this lifetime, but but we can ex- we can deal with the stupid poverty, right? Yeah, we can deal with the, the 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 poverty that's just meaningless and makes no sense whatsoever.
3: Here's here's you know I I know we have tremendous disagreements with uh, the Islamic faith about core values. But here's where we are alike. When we see the poor and the suffering, one of the key pillars of Islam is to help them. Uh, You know, one of the fundamental faith issues of our Christian faith is to serve those that are poor and needy. And uh, I think rather than, than, you know, notice the differences amongst us, we ought to celebrate Mm. those things that are are similar to our belief systems. And you know, I, I I remember years ago during the Gulf War, you know, when you know, the first when, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, hundreds of thousands of people fled into the Jordanian desert, and looking upon them with one of the one of the Jordanian princesses, and uh, you know, she's looking at all this mass. She said, oh, most of these people are Islamic, and they're mm. Muslims." You know, part of our faith in the in Islamic belief system is that we care for them. And we're caring for them, and you Christians are coming. We've always been told you're the enemy, you're the bad guys. Right, right. But on this issue, we're united. And I thought, you know, I I take great, uh, I I guess, I I take that to heart, that there are certain things that unite us, and certain things that we together stand with, the Muslims, the Buddhists, uh, you know, uh, Hindus. We agree on certain things, and... I know they'll always separate us, but I, I'm more and more interested in, on the commonality mm-hmm. of those hmm. things uniting us as we stand against issues. And uh, I look at it and say, you know, you know, we we can do these things together. I look at the Middle East and all the problems, and that's great. Like, you know, I I've been like kilometers away from ISIS a lot, and and I think you know what, uh, you know, when people start questioning their belief systems because it's it's. It's enacted in certain ways. There's great opportunities to say, "Hey, look, there's a better way." And as a Christian, I say that better way. That Jesus said, "Is uh, you know, I, I I love you. I care enough for you that I gave my life for you." And I think we ought to celebrate those commonalities mm-hmm. rather than talk about the things that separate us. What,
1: what is is? Would you say it's it's the love? I mean, that that's the connecting point. Is it the relational? Yeah. Um, is it the is it is it the community? How's how's this phrase? Is it the relationship? Is it the community of relationships that sort of draws us all together in that sense? Is that is, the, that, the, is that is that a fair question?
3: Uh, yeah, I you know I, I mean I, you know we can always talk about the things that separate us. I yeah. watch with great interest because I don't think there's any better TV uh, on right now than the American elections. You know, I'm watching the Republicans and the Democrats go at it, and I think you know we we you can always get a force together that that talks about what they disagree with. Sure, I'm more interested in talking about what we agree with. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, if my faith is real, which there's no question I believe it is, that if people see that in me, they, they see that I'm, 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 to my life, I'm committed to those things. Mm-hmm. I think they'll ask why. And that gives me a reason and an opportunity to talk about the hope that I have in, in my God, in my Christ. You know what he did for people, and I think that you know in this day and age where people are talking about death, destruction, disasters, all these wars, and all these things that are going on, we've got a great message as a, as, as a believer of, of of Christian people who come together and say, "Look, there's a better way. We have a God in heaven that loves us." That's the message that I wanna I wanna take to people, David.
1: Well, clearly, and clearly, Sean, this isn't. I mean, I don't think from what I'm hearing, and I don't know you well by any means, but, uh, and it's, it's more than just tone of voice. You're not just in this for a paycheck.
3: Yeah, no, I know this I'm, isn't I, just,
1: this isn't just a job. There's, there's a passion here. There's an intention. There's a desire. I don't know, to be something, I don't know, to I mean, maybe, 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 maybe legacy making going on here, but, but getting outside of yourself, right?
3: Yeah, and it has nothing to do with me. Like, it, it, I look at it and think, you know, it's it's not a desire to prove myself or to do something wonderful for God because he did it all. It's it's just the realization that what God had done for me through his son Jesus uh, humbles my heart, mm. blows me away. Hmm. And I, I think that, you know, when I see those kind of things going on, I I realize I've, I've got a role to play in that. I, I have no choice at the end of the day but to say, God, how do how do I how do I bless you? How do I serve your creation? And that's what motivates me. If I didn't get paid anything for this, I you know I might have to go work at Walmart, or <laughs> right. McDonald's, yep. someplace. But but
1: or come but, to uh, Toronto and shovel snow. You <laughs> could always do that.
3: Yeah, we don't need any snow shovelers out in Calgary. So. <laughs> but but you know I I do see it that way. As I, I I'm very humbled by the fact that what God did for me. What's my reasonable response to him is to say God what do you want me to do for you like you've blown me away by your love how do I take that love and express that to others
1: and is that is that kind of what you saw in Mama Maggie uh, you oh, know the yeah. Mother Teresa of Cairo I mean somebody who, who you know how how does somebody get to a point like that right To to make a decision yeah. like that that's so sort of I remember I, I left the electrical trade after 18 years to study philosophy to get my master's degree. And I remember a couple people, most people were, 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 I don't know, affirmed and encouraged and were so supportive. And there were a couple people like, what, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind that you would leave a, a very good job to go study philosophy? I remember a doctor saying to me, one of my doctors at the time, oh, that in a quarter is going to get you a phone call. Right, which, which of course means something to you and me, but not to my kids. Right? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean, Dad? What do you mean? Why would you need a quarter to make a phone call? <laughs>
3: Well, you, you know what anybody that studies philosophy needs help.
1: Oh, you know, hey, listen, that's another conversation, Sean, for another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be that'll be part. That's when you interview me for your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, actually, you know what? That's funny. The very first I think podcast that I ever did, I did not do the interviewing. It was somebody interviewed me, a guy that I taught with, I think, and it was called No Wait for It: The
3: Unemployed Philosopher's Blog. <laughs> You know, it's people like you and sculptors uh, and, and musicians that, you know, like you're, you're called to the passion, to follow your passion. Oh, without a doubt. It always doesn't pay the check.
2: <laughs> oh, man.
1: I yeah, I remember my first paycheck as a TA doing my master's degree. I'd left, honestly, a very good job back in the uh, early 2000, and um, it was $189 for two weeks. And I've, <laughs> I've still got to check around somewhere. And uh, I can't believe my wife didn't leave me. I, it's uh, remarkable. <laughs> yeah, she still loves me, Sean. It's She's a amazing. good woman. That's right,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I look at these things, and there's, there's something beyond the, the, you know, just the existing and getting a paycheck, mm-hmm. however big that paycheck is, because I think those things can satisfy certain aspects of our lives. Yeah. But the longing of our hearts and finding something that fulfills the need in our hearts to find meaning and purpose you know that's invaluable.
1: So, for, for, so I see I see a lot of photos of Mama Maggie. You know, I'm getting to know yeah. her a bit more, and and the work that she does. And a lot of them are about just washing children's feet. And I get that from a uh, a Christian perspective, without a doubt. But do you think, Sean? That and I'd love to ask Mama Maggie this. But do you think there's something profoundly spiritual about that
3: in and of itself? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I could say that in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. But when when I was there and watched the humility with which she does her work, hmm. and all her volunteers caring for 20,000 people every day, 20,000 children every day. It's remarkable. Y- you know, I, I I can't but be blown away by that. Like, to think that she's got this score of young people, young adults who volunteer their time to go out to the garbage dumps and the most despicable areas that you can imagine where, you know, they're melting paper bags to get the product so they could sell it. They, they're, they're going through, hmm. you know, finding needles and things in the garbage dump so they can sell that. And and these are uh, a majority of their Coptic Christians. Watching Mother Maggie and her team go into these areas, and the kids are filthy. Hmm. I mean, you don't even want to touch them. Hmm. And to see the humility with which they go in and they take these kids not just wash, they washed my feet when I was there. <laughs> I, I,
1: well, I've heard about your feet, Sean. Yeah. yeah I've, I've read about them what? online. I, yeah.
3: I just, like, I, it's amazing. I you know, you, you, you hear that stuff, but when it's done to you, oh. you're so humbled by it. Well,
1: it's the, cla- you know, I was interviewing somebody not long ago who who talked about a story. They went to Namibia. They met somebody. They went to their, ho- and, and, to their house and, and the story that he told was the the guy had one light bulb in his house. And he he unscrewed it from one socket and they moved to another room and he, and he screwed the light bulb in another socket. And this, I mean, obviously the whole experience had an impact on this, this guy, Jay Whitelaw, but it was one of those connecting dots for him that, that's really stuck with him. And we talked about this idea of, you can talk about stories like this, you can read about them, you can watch them on film, but to actually be there and to experience it, it's life, life life-changing.
3: Yeah, and I, w- I would tell anybody who listens to this, listen, if you need you know, a boost in your life, you're not going to find it by elevating yourselves. You're going to find it by mm. lowering yourself mm. to the mm. service of others. And, and when I watch Mama Maggie and Stephen's children and all their volunteers do this kind of thing, you cannot but be touched by it. When I when I see Mother Teresa and I equate those two in the same category. I mean, right. I, I I've met Mother Teresa on a mm. couple of occasions mm. before she passed away, and uh, uh, watching what Mama Maggie does, she is the Mother Teresa of 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 Egypt, no question about it. And when I watch these people, they they have this this uncanny, unexplainable ability to love people mm. and and to you know. To, to to go there and to bless them, not to be blessed, but to bless them. In in that they are blessed certainly, but it, but I, I watch that with, with great uh, you know, a great desire to learn from that. But how do they, how do they do that? How, what what causes them to go above and beyond every day yeah. to serve other people and and the the least of these, the poorest of the poor, the children that, that Jesus so loved to come to Him. You know they they express that, and I'm I'm blessed by that, and I hopefully I'm learning from
1: it. Yeah, yeah, you see it as a as an probably as a bit of an affirmation. I would imagine of the work that you do as well, but but also kind of a challenge, and and it's pretty pretty darn encouraging. It seems to me.
3: Yeah, it's an affirmation. But yeah, it's, it's 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 you know I I just don't want to say it's an affirmation. It's it's so powerful mm. in its witness that it, it compels me at every level of my life. And I think, That's you good. know, for just to just to motivate me is one thing. But I I am blown away by their commitment. If right. I could but live up to you know an ounce of that. I would be blessed.
1: So so take me back a little bit. We'll probably have to wrap up here shortly, Sean, and sure. I always say to everybody, I hope they'll be willing to do a part two with me down the road. Take me, take me back a little bit. What, I mean, I'd have to ask this of Mama. You call her Mother Maggie, but, uh, you know, what was the moment? What was it that sort of put you over the top? You know, obviously you look back and you kind of understand where you've come from. You said you've always had this sense of others, you know, your mother, yeah. your family. Was there... I mean, can you look back and 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 was there a, an experience as a kid? Was there a book that you read, a film that you saw, uh, something that happened that that just tipped the scales for you a little bit?
3: Yeah, I think David. You know, I I was uh, after I graduated from high school, I took a year of college because I wanted to go into medicine. Oh, my, okay. I, I, you know, I grew up in a family of five boys, and my mother always wanted a doctor, and I figured <laughs> I was the youngest, so I got to be that. Right. Uh, as it turned out, it was my next brother that became the doctor but i was studying sciences you know accepted into ubc and uvic to do the sciences to get into medicine but it was during that year that i experienced god and his hmm. love and just felt so convicted that i need to change my course of action so i went to college and seminary and eventually you know uh, went on and did my doctorate and 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 it was at that time i just realized look you know from from college, I went in to become a pastor, and I was a pastor of a wonderful church in British Columbia, Hmm. and I'd stand up there every Sunday and talk about our faith, you know, and and the reasons to serve God, and uh, the reasons why we need to be spiritual, and I always found that just because I said that, people weren't necessarily becoming spiritual. (laughs) Right, right. So, my wife and I began this journey of praying and saying, God, you know, what do, what do we do with this? So, we were there for almost four years, and that's when we left to go overseas to work in a refugee camp on the Thai Cambodian border in a war zone where we were shelled 150 times in two years, you know, every other day. And, and, and that's where my faith became real, hmm. where I took all the words that I would say to people about God's love. And really, be in an environment where I could never say any of those words. Right. The only way I had to communicate that was by the way I lived, and and I guess that was a real turning point for me, realizing that hey, you know what, our faith is about living Christ and preaching Christ, as Paul says in Romans chapter 15. You know, I won the Gentiles to faith by the way I lived and by my message. You know, th- those are it- the key elements of the gospel. It's 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 it actionable items. You
1: want you yeah. want to see tangible results. You want you boots on the ground kind of thing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think it, you know, the world the world is looking. They're looking for someone who really is convicted about what they believe and who lives that. And and I think that we as as Christians, you know, we, we profess Christ with our mouths. And when people see us living that and professing that, they say, you know, that's of interest to me. So yeah. tell me more, you yeah. know, and yeah. it gives us an opportunity That's to give a reason for the hope that we have.
1: So just to wrap up, uh, let's talk just a tiny bit. Of, so the event is coming up May the 12th in Toronto. Um, yes. Mama Maggie's going to be here. I think it's her first Toronto appearance. Michael Corden's going to be there to to interview her on stage. Jacob Moon's music, which I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, but yeah. he's, he's absolutely terrific. And are you hoping to be board chair, hoping to be there as well, I understand.
3: Yes, I am. <laughs> That's I'm, great. I'm, I'm leaving this weekend for uh, back to Myanmar and to wow. Vietnam to follow up on some projects and I'll get wow. home and uh yeah, I'll I'll hopefully be out in Toronto at that time and and I'd uh, love to meet whoever listens to this. Come on up and say hello. Absolutely. Sean, just quickly,
1: are you like 102? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy smokes. Like I just listened to, you know, where you've been and what you've done I'm like how old is this yeah, guy, I, you know?
2: Yeah, you know. You see, I mean, he looks
3: he looks a lot like Gandalf, David. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be 58 this year, and I, nice. I, I, I just, you know, I, I was hiking in Burma, yeah, you know, uh, a year ago. I, you know, we had this bright idea to go into <laughs> northern Myanmar and work with the tribal groups up there. So I hiked up there, and I yeah, you know, when I was 30, this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now that now that I'm in my late 50s, I'm thinking, you know, bless the 30-year-olds. Yes, it's for them,
1: <laughs> not quite the same anymore. Yeah, <laughs> no.
3: But but it, it is equally as important, just not the same for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, I understand. Well, listen, I, I hope we can do uh, part two, Sean. We've got so much more, okay. so much more ground to cover. But Sean Campbell, he's a senior director of strategic initiatives at Samaritan's Purse out in Calgary. He's also the uh, board chair for the Stevens Children Foundation here in Toronto. Thanks, thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure, David.